0: Ahead is the full recording of a sermon and worship service at New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church in East Toledo, Ohio. We hope that you've chosen to listen to it because you believe that the Lord may speak to you through the sermon, through the message, and you want to have fellowship with God's people in this uh, technology-based way. We hope that as you listen, you will grow to new heights in Jesus. Thank you and God bless.
1: so and worship the God of heaven with me today. As I stand before you, I now get to do one of my favorite things in the whole world—maybe my favorite thing—and that's preach. I like to hug my kids too, so. Um, so we're going to talk briefly about withering for a second. And if you'll see the topic up there, if it's—it's it's in the sermon. It's always in the bulletins all the time. The topic is there. And so, withering—a common danger. All right. The word "common" means it applies to a broad group of people. So. I don't want you to think that this problem that I'm about to share with you actually applies to everyone. When I say it's a common danger, like if I'm walking down the road, and there's a pothole there, and anybody walking down the road could trip and fall in the pothole, this danger does not apply to anyone. It only applies to a a fairly select group of people, and um, it's a group of people that maybe had moved along a ways. If, let's say, three-quarters of the people in the world couldn't walk, that three-quarters of the people in the world, generally speaking, would not be in danger of tripping and falling, right? But if three-quarters of the people in the world can walk, then that three-quarters of the people is in danger of tripping and falling. So it's more like that. It's, it's, there's a limit on who is actually in danger of what I'm about to describe to you. And the safety is also a factor. Why you're not in danger of this is something important to note. So let's talk about withering for a second. The, the word wither occurs in the Bible just a few times. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I want you to see that it means uh, to fade away, to be dried up. Not like you dry fruit to save it for later, but like a, a tree or a plant or something would dry up and begin to die. right? To fade away or to dry up. And then figuratively, so symbolically sort of, it's to express leanness of soul, spiritual impotence, that means you have no power of your spirit, a low condition of spiritual life, a lack of moral nourishment. So the world might call this a spiritual depression, right? You struggle mentally or emotionally, you struggle spiritually inside, and you just don't have it. You don't have the energy, you don't have the strength, you don't have the direction, you don't have the drive, you know, the mo- something is missing. It's just a lack, right? And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about withering. And so right away, you want to say, I would like to say that, that, that the... That the line is between Christians and non-Christians. The Christians are not in danger of withering, right? But actually, that's not the case. And I'll show you that in the scripture. The psalmist says this, my heart is smitten like grass and withereth, and indeed, I forget to eat my bread. And so when a person gets in this place where their spirit is so withered, they can even forget to do the basic things that they need to do to survive, that's what the psalmist says. So we're going to read from the scripture. It's a short passage of scripture and then three things I want you to see and then a conclusion. So it's a pretty easy organizationally sermon. Shouldn't be too hard to follow in that regards. And everything that we're going to see comes right out of the text. And then I'll give you a couple of backup texts to, so you can see that it's happening. It's been happening since the beginning of time, okay? So grab your Bibles if you brought one. If you didn't, I encourage you to do so. If you don't own one, let me know. I'll get you one. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, all right, we'll get you one. All right, would you go grab Noah, a Bible to use for now, please? Oh, there's one right over here. Anybody else needs one? We'll get them there's there. Some stacked up in the uh, cafeteria. All right. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to, 21, verse 18. That's where we're at. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, which is about two-thirds of the way to the right. You won't find it in the middle because the New Testament is much smaller than the Old Testament, okay? About two-thirds away to the right, you find the book of Matthew. Go to chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Beginning verse 18. This is a passage of Scripture that is often left. People just read by it and don't really study it, don't really preach it. And there's a reason for that, and I'll try to show you that as we go. 21, 18. Now in the morning when he, that's Jesus, returned to the city, that's Jerusalem, he came. He became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. So he says to the tree, tree, you will no longer produce any fruit ever. The tree's just sitting there growing its leaves, no figs, and Jesus curses it. And at once the fig tree, here's our word, withered. At once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples marveled. They were surprised, like, what the heck? Saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? How did the fig tree wither at once? Immediately, right away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now the last couple of verses there, starting at about the part where it says, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive, we love. It's so often talked about. Sermons are preached out of that and out of another passage that says exactly the same thing. And we talk about how if we just pray, believing, we can have anything we want. And that's pretty good stuff. But notice, this is Jesus' explanation when the question is asked, how did the fig tree wither at once? And he says, Truly I say unto you, this is really important, listen carefully. If you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. First of all, I want you to see in this text that the, the, the reason that we don't think about it, the reason that we don't like this picture, the reason that we don't accept withering as, an, as a real thing, and we wonder why the tree died so quickly, why they were asking, is because we are used to things dying gradually. Every day, our bodies are dying. Every day, the cells of your liver are dying off and they're coming back again. New cells. Cells split form new cells, old cells die off you will not have a single cell in your body probably when you die that you began with. They come, they live a while, they die off, new ones are produced to replace them. And by the way, when the new ones are re- reduced to pr- re- replace them and the new cells that are re- reproduced are not able to be the kind of cell they're supposed to be, that's called cancer. So when your liver cells produce cells that cannot be liver cells, you have liver cancer. When your bicep produces bicep cells that can't be biceps, you have bicep cancer. And you say, that's not even a thing. Actually, Steve Long, our association missionary, had that, if you would ever noticed, his arm's like one-third the size because he had to, in high school, he got it. And he had to have most of his arm cut off. So that's how that happens. We are dying ourselves very gradually as we sit here and being replenished. And when the dying exceeds the replenishment, that's called old age, okay? So we are used to dying gradually. Also, we see everything dying gradually. If you don't water the plant in your house, how long will it take to die? A few days, two days. Yeah, it depends if it's in the for sure, that's right. Some would make it go a lot faster, wouldn't it? In the dark yep. So that's gradually, right? You didn't just not water it and then, man, it died. They were watching the tree. While they were watching the tree, it's dying. It's so rapidly withering that it's almost dead. And they're saying, why so fast? Because they are used to seeing dying happening gradually. In fact, we are so used to seeing dying happening gradually that we are stunned when it happens fast. When something happens that feels like death or a family member dies too young or somebody, you hear about uh, an artist who overdosed in their 30s or whatever, what do we say? We say, can't believe that happened. They're, they're so young. They're too young to die. We, we had a family member die of major health conditions in their Uh, late 40s, early 50s, we're like, man, that's too young. That's too young to die. Because we're used to it happening gradually. But how many, what percentage of people actually live to be to their old age? And I don't know that I know those statistics. What I'm saying is death happens much more rapidly than we expect. And we are used to thinking it's going to happen very slowly. That everything is dying gradually. And I submit to you that this is somehow comforting. Because if we were faced with the fact, if the delusion was removed, to realize that we literally could die today, then we would be terrified at what happens next. Even the Christians in the room would risk being terrified knowing that we are not living for the Lord as well we should. Now, because we know the truth about Jesus, we say, well, we're going to die an hour, we would immediately, I hope, repent and turn to the Lord with our whole heart and be forgiven of everything and so no reason to be terrified. But so many people, if they would realize, hey, they would die in a few minutes or an hour or in a week, they would totally change everything that they're doing. If you ask the average person, would, I, would you go to work tomorrow if you knew you were going to die the next day? Guess what they're going to say? Nope, nope. Probably not. Unless they are so invested in their job and they know they're doing something that's really valuable or whatever, or they're doing it for the Lord, they, they would say, well, I don't think I'm going to go to work tomorrow. If I know for sure I'm going to die the next day, why would I go to work? I'll do things with my family and I'll hug my kids and I'll... I'll do art. I'll, I'll, do, I'll create something. I'll do something that makes my life worthwhile if I know I'm going to die in a couple days. And so I think God allows this delusion, and he did the same for the disciples. And so understand that these are men who are no different than you. They're used to seeing things die gradually. And suddenly, when Jesus said, you will no longer produce any fruit, the tree does not die gradually. The second thing I want you to see in there is that the power of God Jesus said, the power of God is not limited, and that shouldn't come as any surprise. He created the universe and could destroy it again if he chose to. Nor is the power of God limited in investment. The power of God can in its totality be put into people. And that's the challenge. That's a problem for us because we see things happening that we don't like and we want them stopped. We're like, well, if I don't want that, the power of God in me should be able to stop that. Why does it seem that the power of God is limited? Well, Jesus tells us that too in the text. He says it's about faith without doubting. And before we're done, I'll tell you, I'll show you exactly what faith without doubting looks like. And you could say, well, I believed that I would not have that. I believed that that thing would happen that I wanted, and it didn't happen. I prayed, I said, God, please give me that. And God didn't give it to me, and I believed and didn't doubt. And though I believed and didn't doubt, what I prayed for didn't happen. And when you look now at what Jesus is defining, praying, believing without doubting, then you can ask yourself again, is that really true? Why does it seem that the power of God is limited in its investment in people when Jesus says it is not? Now, how many people need a mountain cast into the sea? Probably nobody, right? If a mountain were about to fall on, you'd be like, no, Lord, don't let the mountain fall on me. Let it be cast into the sea instead. That might be a useful time for that, right? But generally speaking, you don't need that. On the other hand, there are people who need healed. There are people whose relationships need healed. And those are big mountains, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And sometimes those things happen. Stella Thomas, who worked at the life station before we got there and a little while after we got there. She had 13 spots of cancer in her torso. 13 spots appeared in her torso. They scheduled biopsies because they did the PET scan. Judy's very familiar with that. They did the PET scans. And they found the exact location of where all of them were, and they went to do biopsies. They're going to poke them all and find out are they malignant or are they benign. And the day they went to go and do it, she had come the day before, and we, she and I had stood in the on the doorway between the kitchen and the sanctuary there, and we had prayed and bawled, cried about her cancer, and we begged God to heal it. And she had asked her church to pray, and we'd prayed in the services. And she had testified that she was trusting in the Lord. And when all of that happened, she went to go do the biopsies. The next thing, guess what happened? No cancer. All 13 spots have disappeared. Who needs 13 spots of cancer disappearing out of their body? Everybody, if you got it, right? If you got cancer, you want it gone. And that just needs to be done. And in that case, it happened. Why did it happen in that case? And it doesn't, and it doesn't happen in others. There was no trace. All 13 spots gone. And she still comes to the live station. You could talk to her herself, yourself. And other things, I'll tell you a couple more stories in a second about miraculous intervention. What, but, the problem is, we are left asking the question, why does it seem that God sometimes invests his full power and allows something to happen, and other times it doesn't? And we'll get to that answer. It's in the story. And also in other teachings of Jesus. The, but the reason the passage is so rarely preached is this. If you read this passage, okay, and I'm going to summarize the passage again, and then I'm going to ask you to ask the, the question that comes natural. Jesus was walking into town, and he was hungry. And he comes to a fig tree. And on the fig tree, there's no figs, just leaves. And so he curses the tree. And the tree immediately begins to die. And the disciples are like, Wow, why did that happen? That was really fast. And he said, Well, if you believe, you can do that and other greater things too. What is the first question that comes into your mind? Right? Or simply put, why did Jesus kill the tree? Right? Jesus can make figs. Jesus could summon figs. Jesus could have a man with a donkey come by and say, Hey, you want some figs? Right? Why the question is, why did Jesus kill the tree? And that's the question that everybody asks. But if you look at the text, that isn't the question, is it? Because the disciples also know that Jesus can produce figs, right? They also know that Jesus can do crazy miracles. He's already fed the 5,000, right? Jesus is hungry. Why doesn't he just reach in his pocket and get a little tiny little crumb of bread that's left from days before somebody else pulls one out? We multiply that and make 100 loaves of bread. Just break that crumb and there it is and everybody can eat, right? Jesus is able to do all of that. And he's already done it. The question is not, why does Jesus curse the tree? But that's the question that everybody wants to ask when we read this text. But notice the question that the men, again, I submit to you, who are just like us, they see death happening gradually, who are just like us, they know that Jesus had power, who are just like us, they know that Jesus healed the 5,000, they've seen it firsthand, what we have now read about, historically know to be true. That's not the question they ask. The question they ask is, why or how did the fig tree wither at once. That's the question they ask. And that is the question that centers the whole text. The power of God is not limited is the answer to that question. Jesus cursed the tree. I submit to you, you might do the same thing. When I was a young Christian and before I got saved, I would go to the refrigerator and Sherry was doing the shopping at that time and I would, there would be something in the refrigerator that was lacking, missing. I wanted something. I wanted meat or I wanted juice or I wanted Whatever. And I would go to the refrigerator and it wasn't there because she didn't buy it when she went to the grocery store. She forgot or maybe she didn't get to the grocery store. We were both working full-time jobs at that time and she said she was going to go and she didn't get there because she got hung up at work or whatever. And so whatever I was looking for wasn't there. And guess what happened? I cursed the refrigerator and it died on the spot. Oh. No, that's not actually what happened. What actually I said, oh, my wife didn't buy my food. And I got mad at my wife. Now, y'all are looking at me like I'm some kind of a freak, but I want you to stop and think if you've ever done that. You ever walk through the living room and somebody left something laying on the floor and you tripped over it or stubbed your foot and you went Christian or Ariana or whatever, right? You did that because they did it. They were the cause. This tree was the cause of not, Jesus not finding any frigs on it. In, in Jesus tells a parable elsewhere of a vineyard keeper who has these fig trees in Luke 13 and he comes to the tree. Three years in a row he comes to the tree and the tree's producing no fruit. And he says, cut that tree down. Why should it even waste the ground? Just like we might say, Steve, I'm just going to do the shop myself then. Right? Or I'm just going to do the work myself then. Right? And so... We would have the same attitude that he had, but the vineyard keeper had every right to cut that tree down. It's his tree. Jesus had every right to curse that tree. That's his tree. And he came looking for fruit on it, and that tree's got a job. job, By the way, fig trees don't do a good job of giving shade. The only thing they do well is give figs. That's it. And so they're supposed to give figs, and they don't. It's the tree's fault. It's not giving figs. At least in the moment, that's what it feels like. That's the logic, right? And so... This vineyard owner said, I come three years in a row, just cut the tree down. Why should it labor the ground? Why should it use up the ground? The one who keeps the vineyard comes, and it's a story about grace, because he says, well, just give me one more year. Let me dig around the tree and fertilize it, and we'll see if we can get it growing. You some, the, vineyard keeper, the vineyard owner says, okay, fine. And Jesus is telling the parable, and he says, okay, fine. We'll go one more year. And the guy digs around the tree, and he fertilizes it, and the tree grows fruit, and next year, vineyard a vineyard owner comes and says, okay, we'll keep the tree. But Jesus doesn't give this tree one more day or one more year. But to understand why Jesus doesn't do that, you need to understand the context of this story. When is this story taking place in Jesus' life? Now, it's probably 33, 34 years old. Age isn't what's really important. What's about to happen? He's about to be crucified. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is the last time Jesus will come by this tree. You understand? And so here is the problem. Withering sets in when the Lord is turned away and it's the last time the Lord was coming by. Now that's a problem for some people because there are some people who have turned the Lord away. He's come by and they've turned Him away. And He's come by again and they turned Him away. And it's even more of a problem because Jesus talks about the poor the broken brothers and sisters in Christ who are in jail, as if they are he. He says, at the end, when he's doing the sorting, he says, I was in jail, you didn't come visit me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was impoverished, and you didn't clothe me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you and not do these things? We never did that. We never do that. You are Lord Jesus. And we would always feed you or clothe you or whatever. And he said, Inasmuch as as you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it to me. So there are those who have come hungry, and we have not fed the hungry. There are those who come needing clothing. We have not given them clothing. We have not taken care of them. Because we're busy protecting our own, or whatever your logic or reason. You're you're busy uh, working, or you're busy cleaning, or you're busy hobbying, or whatever it is. And those in need come, and you turn them away. And it might be that the last time Jesus comes by to you, before your withering sets in, might be somebody come looking for food. Somebody come looking for clothing. Because Jesus himself said, in as much as you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. There will be those in that day, very familiar text, who say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, get away from me. I never knew you. The question is, will you know when the last time Jesus comes by is? Well, you'd better, or as an insurance policy, you'd better just not say no whenever Jesus comes by. And that's a little hard because there's a lot of poor in the world and you will have them with you always. But if a man comes hungry to you, you feed him. doesn't mean you've got to take care of all of his life's problems or whatever, but you feed him because it could be Jesus or it is representative of Jesus either way. You will be surprised at how rapidly you wither. Notice the marveled, that word marveled of the disciples. You'll be surprised at how rapidly you wither after the last time you say no to Jesus, the last time He's coming and you say no, you'll be surprised at how rapidly you wither. The power of God is not limited, nor is it limited in its investment. Those withering may be after the last time the Lord was stopping by. The power of God is not limited, nor is it limited in its investment. Those withering may be standing in opposition to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 13, there is a king, and he stands up in front of the prophet of the Lord, and he says, no... And as soon as he puts his hand out, his hand and his arm wither and he can barely take it back because his his hand and his arm are withered. And he says to the prophet, he says, please, beg God for me that he will heal my arm. And he repents and turns to God. And the prophet prays and the arm is healed. Notice it was that thing that was stuck out against God that withered. And so sometimes we stick out our finances against God and we say, no, I'm okay and my sustenance is in my good job or it's in my money. And we refuse to tithe, or to give, or to use a spending plan, or to honor God with our finances. We stick our finances out about God against God, and then our finances wither. Sometimes we stick our health out against God. I'm too busy. I'm going to the gym. I'm playing games. I'm playing sports. I'm having fun, whatever it is. And we stick that out against God. And the next thing you know, your health withers because you stuck that out against God. It's whatever you put out against God. You're okay. I'm okay. That's all it takes to say, I'm okay. And pretty soon your okayness withers because you stuck that out against God. But notice, this was just an arm that represented disobedience to the Lord and it was healed on appeal. This king knew enough to repent and turn back and say, I repent and turn back to the Lord and his arm was healed. Anybody remember the story of Uzziah? We studied Hosea pretty at length a few months back. Uzziah was a king of Israel. He decided he was going to burn incense at the altar. Right, And he went up, and he said, I'm going to burn incense. And what did the priest say? No, bad idea. That's not your job. And he said, I don't care. I've done everything else. I'm going to burn incense at the altar. And what
2: happened? He
1: got Yep, go ahead. See. Leprosy, Leprosy on, his on his forehead. Immediately. And then what didn't happen? He didn't repent. He didn't appeal. And what was the rest of his life like? He lived in solitude, away from everybody else, buried away from his fathers because he was a king withering. You understand? And so what you put out against the Lord, the person that's withering, may be withering because they are in disobedience to God. And they would be healed on appeal. This is less than a few days from Peter and Judas betraying God. Betraying Jesus. That's right, I said Peter and Judas betraying Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus and gave Him over to be crucified. Right? Took money for for giving Him over, for betraying Him. What's his end? He goes out weeping. He throws the money back in the temple. He does not profit from it. And then he goes and hangs himself and falls bloated into a field and body busts open. He was withering from the moment he betrayed Jesus. Peter denies Jesus on the night of Jesus' arrest three times, and that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. And he did that. What's his end? He goes out weeping, but he turns to the Lord. And in repentance, and he becomes eventually, after Jesus forgives him and commands him to be a leader of the church, he becomes the leader of the New Testament church doing miracles like sitting there and when Ananias and Sapphira come in and lie about their donation, that's Peter that's sitting there. It's Peter that says, these men, you hear their feet coming at the door, they will carry you out dead because you lied to the Holy Spirit. And when Ananias falls over dead for lying to the Holy Spirit, that's not withering. And when Sapphira comes in later and he says, why'd you lie? And she she says, where's my husband? And he says, well, your husband's dead and these men are going to carry you out too. And she dies immediately. That's Peter. After Peter went through what he went through, how could he do that? Because Peter learned the truth about withering, and that is that if you are smart, you never let it last for long. If you are wise and understand who God is, you don't let it last for long. When things start to go wrong, when you begin to wither, at the moment you begin to wither, you immediately turn unto the Lord, and there is healing readily available in the appeal. The power of God is not limited, nor limited in its investment. Those withering may be standing in opposition to the Lord or they may just be past the last time the Lord was coming by to ask for their service. The power of God is not limited nor is it limited in its investment. We had a young man walk into the life station and I'm sorry that Randy's not here today. And by the way, pray for Randy and his family. They've been getting gang stalked. A uh, young man in their neighborhood who got arrested this last week. He was on the top 100 of the U.S. Marshals list and Jerry wound up being a witness at the trial. So now they've been getting gang stalked and so they've really had a lot of Struggles going on this last week. So pray for them. Lord help them in Jesus' name. But that being said, Randy and I were working the life station that day, and this young man came in, and he was belligerent from the moment he walked in the door. He was using foul language in the middle of our worship. We're singing praise songs to Jesus, slowly getting louder and louder, cussing, taking the Lord's name in vain, and saying a, 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 the F word a lot, and things like that. And finally, I just said, Shut up and sit down, just like that. I felt led in the spirit when I did. I said, Shut up and sit down. And he did. He sat down like the second row on the right hand side in the second chair. And then as the service was concluding, he started kind of winding up again. And he started saying things, muttering, getting loud. And he stayed through the whole service, and he was getting loud. And, and we kind of got everybody out the door, and he was the only one left. And I called Randy in, so I wasn't in the room alone with him. And we wound up talking to him. And as he was talking to him, he was professing to be a Christian. And I said, can you tell me the story of when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he, tr- he did tell me the story, but he never mentioned Jesus talked about always believing in God and how he'd always gone to church and how when the pastor preached, he was provoked and he went forward in the service or whatever his exact wording was. But he never mentioned Jesus. And I had encountered something like that before. And so I said, would you just say this? Just say Jesus is Lord. Just say that. Is that true? And he said, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, would you just say Jesus is Lord? And he tried to say Jesus and it came out like this. He said, the Lord. He couldn't save Jesus. So finally, Randy and I realized what was happening. So we laid hands on him. This is Randy Bulky that sits right back there. Laid hands on him and we prayed to rebuke evil spirits and cast demons out of this man. At which point he passed out. He went unconscious. And we're like about three minutes later, I'm going, okay, do we call the ambulance? I'm like, how is this going to go? This is going to look great in the media. We're casting evil spirits out of this guy. And he passes out and it goes into like a. Diabetic coma or something and now it's, that's gonna be great on the news. You know that for the end of my ministry right there or Whatever or maybe it'd be way better. Who knows we have like thousands of people coming who knows? anyway the point is a minute later before we could call 9 he woke up and he was calm and He couldn't remember the previous 48 hours didn't remember how he had gotten to the life. So he knew where he was at because he'd been there before Now this person then we read into the Lord. He professed Christ in earnest and began living for the Lord and as far as I know, he's been fine ever since. I had a similar experience with a young lady, 12 years old, all the way back. And Chris Mitchell was there. You remember this day. We were in the library at East Toledo Baptist Church. She had been inhabited, if you will, by some kind of an evil spirit. We don't know what it was. But she had gotten to the point where she was so belligerent that she, with her army boots, kicked her grandmother in the jaw and broke her jaw and we prayed over her that day after we forgot she also could not say the name of Jesus we prayed over her that day cast evil spirits out of her after which time she prayed to receive Christ and she was able to freely say the name of Jesus and she became a healthy, functional person after that there is power that God has and he is willing to invest it in people but there is also power that is not godly power and that brings us to our third point I would say this That is proximity or nearness to the power is not the same as being power filled. Proximity to power, closeness to power is not the same as being power filled. Think for just a moment about the parable of the soils, right? The farmer's going out to sow the seed. He drops seed along the way in three places and then finally gets some in the field. Probably, apparently not a very good farmer. He's got a big hole in his bag or whatever. But either way, three, three places along the way he drops. So all along the way, they're encountering the seed. And Jesus would later say that the seed is the word of God. It's the truth about Jesus. And so all along the way, they're encountering They're encountering it. They're close. They're in proximity to it. But only the last soil experiences the power of God and produces fruit abundantly. So being close or being in proximity to power is not the same thing as having power. The disciples did not have the power to rebuke a tree and see it wither immediately. But they knew that Jesus did. They were in close and proximity to Jesus. Knowing the man Jesus may not even be the same as being known by the man Jesus. In Matthew 7, they will cry, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name. We healed in your name. Jesus doesn't say, you didn't do it in my name. He said, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. How can you say that? And he says, he does not correct them and say that they didn't do it in his name. And he doesn't correct them and say that they didn't heal. And he doesn't correct them and, doesn't, and say that they didn't prophecy. He just says, get away from me. I never knew you. So they're walking the earth, doing powerful things in his name, a name that they know, but they don't have a relationship with him personally. Having met someone, having heard someone or having spent some time with someone is not the same as knowing that person. When I was roughly 10, 11 years old, or my brother was in the choir in high school, and he got named to the all-state choir at uh, uh, State Fair in Columbus. There were like 500 teenagers in this choir, and they all went down there to sing, and it was phenomenal. Total a cappella, 500-person choir teenagers. It was phenomenal. But what was neat was while they were there, Barbara Streisand was there, going to do their concert there that night. And my mom was a huge fan of Barbara Streisand. We knew who she was because so my mom would play her music and stuff like that. And everybody, 500 people in the choir, all got the opportunity to go and meet Barbara Streisand if they wanted to. They said, she's going to be at the gate, and only the choir can go at this time, and you can go and meet her if they want. And like four people out of 500 went. I guess she wasn't all that popular amongst the teenagers. In any case, one of those four people was my brother. And they stood at the gate, and they talked. For like 15, 20 minutes, these four teenagers and Barbara Streisand. And they talked about favorite foods, and they talked about favorite shows, and what kind of music they like, and they sang together. They sang some some of her songs that she taught them a little bit of the words, and they sang together. Acapella standing at the gate at the Ohio State Fair, right? After 15 minutes. Well, 15, 20 minutes, they, they parted and went separate ways. Then we got together with my brother for lunch, and my brother told my mother that he had the opportunity to meet Barbara Streisand. She'd been pushing my dad really hard to go to the concert that night, and we were planning on going back home before then, but she'd been pushing to go to the concert. My brother says, well, I can introduce you. I just met her. I mean, I met her. I talked to her like I'm sure she knows who I am, and I know where she's gonna be, and she said, hey, stop by and see me anytime, whatever. I I can introduce you. So my mom's like, yes, 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 and so we make this big track across Ohio State Fair, like half a mile, and as we're walking across the fairgrounds, about halfway there, my brother's thinking kind of he looked nervous. I said, so What's going to remember me? I said, so What do you mean? I mean, you just talked to her like an hour ago, right? And he's like, Yeah, I started thinking, what well, is he lying? And he said, Well, I don't know. I mean, we talked for quite a while, but she's a star, you know, she's a big person, I'm a little person. Is she even gonna remember me? I could walk up to her and say, Hey Barbara, <laughs> you know? And and as we got closer and closer, he started thinking, I don't think I'm qualified to introduce mom to Barbara Streisand. And we were right there. We were about 100 yards away from where we were going to meet up with her. And my brother said, Mom, I just can't do it. I submit to you that you can be in the presence of Jesus. You can talk to Jesus and Jesus can talk to you. You could even walk with Jesus for a short time. You could hang out with believers for your whole life. Hang on. You could miraculously heal the sick. You could miraculously prophecy the future. And arrive at the day of judgment, and Jesus could say, Get away from me. I never knew you. Now let me ask you this question: Where do you get your power from? As I look around this room, I'm gonna be just plain and frank. Everybody in this room has a lot of power. You say, Wow, I don't know, feel powerful, but you do. You got out of bed this morning, you got yourself dressed. A lot of people can't do that. You came to church, you chose to be here, or you chose to come with your family, or you chose to come with your friends or whatever you chose to be here. You're here because you want to be here. You may not be as focused as you should be or you may not be thinking about what the sermon's about or what the, what the word's about, but you're here. You exercised power to get here. And others of you have raised children. You've worked jobs. You've passed tests. You've done things. You've hurt people. Maybe you punched them in the face. Maybe you said nasty things. You have power. The people in this room have power. I'm asking you, where do you get your power from? That's where it's supposed to come from, right? But, even that's not that simple, because this is why. I want to ask you, are you powerful simply because you are created in the image of the Lord? Are you powerful simply because God created you powerful? The ability to improve or ruin someone else's life is inherent in human beings this way. You can break their heart. You can mess with their head. You can crush their spirit. Because you were created in the image of God. You can bring about something like withering in another person because you were created in the image of God. Where do you get your power from? I submit to you that if a, a being, being X, came and they were going to sort the universe, they're bigger than God, somehow, nothing like is bigger than God, I understand that, but if there was, speaking hypothetically, if there was, and they were going to sort the entire universe, that they would put God and human beings in the same pile because we are created in the image of God. Right? And so we look like God. We have power like God. So we would be like God. And that's, in fact, that's what they said in the Garden of Eden. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they gained the knowledge of good and evil like God. God had that knowledge and they gained it like God. They became like God. And God said to them, because you now have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and have this knowledge, you cannot remain in the Garden because you might take of the tree of eternal life, eat and be in this state forever. And that's not tolerable. It's not possible. You can't do that. And so God kicked them out of the garden and placed an angel there with a flaming two-sided sword, two-edged sword, so they could never return and possibly eat of the tree of eternal life. You may be exercising power that is power you have simply because you are created in the image of God and know the difference between good and evil. And wise, lost people, tricky, non-saved people, very creative, crafty, non-Christians, Know when to use good and when to use evil and when to use good sprinkled with a hint of evil and when to use evil sprinkled with a hint of good and you can navigate this life changing the world for what you want it to be and the greatest businessmen who do not know the Lord have done exactly that. They have decided when to stab somebody in the back, when the little guy needs stepped on, when to only pay half the contract when to only show up or don't show up, and to get away with whatever you want in whatever way because they were creating the image of God and they have knowledge of good and evil and they're using it in a strong way to get where they're trying to go. Is that what you're doing? Our eternal existence, whether there with Him or without, without Him, is determined not by our being sorted into the pile with Him, but by the character and the beings in the pile and their relationship to one another. Do you have a relationship with God? Because being sorted into the pile, being called God's people by the public opinion is not sufficient. Neither being created in the image of God nor exercising power like that are sufficient. And even both together are insufficient as we see them saying, Lord, Lord, we healed and prophesied in your name. It remains instead this question about the source of the power. And I ask again, where do we get our power from? It has been said that God is the right source for this power. Noah just said it a minute ago. And Psalm 1 says the same thing. The psalmist wrote that the, he who has God is source of his power. It's not scoff and mock or any of that. He is like a tree growing on the side of an ever-flowing river, always funded, always filled, always taken care of, filled with life and power, never diminishing, never withering in bad weather, never suffering, etc. God is a great source of this power. It has been said that Jesus is the right source. In John 4, Jesus said, if you know to whom you are speaking, you would ask me and I would give you eternal, I would give you living water, right? That wells up inside you and never thirst. And Jesus himself described the ramifications of remaining connected to him or failing to remain connected to him in John 15 when he talks about abiding in the Lord. And he says that those who abide in the Lord, there will be pruning, he will prune them, And they will be producing. It will be pruned so they can produce even more. And To be pruned is to be cleaned and you could say chastised and to face adversity. And herein lies the problem because this pruning might be mistaken for withering. Remember, this is a sermon about withering and the common danger thereof this pruning might be mistaken for withering. So some people are going through difficulty and others might say, well, they're withering because they're in opposition to the Lord or because they put themselves up against God or they're financed up against God or whatever, and they're withering. But they could be actually going through pruning. What really matters is, do you know when you're going through pruning or are you actually withering? Notice also that there is producing. Pruning might be mistaken for withering, but it shouldn't be. And in this kind of life, the kind that Jesus describes in John 15, and we're coming to the conclusion, so hang in there. In this kind of life that Jesus describes in John 15, where you're connected to the right source, determined to remain connected to the right source, where you're producing, so you're doing what it is that God would have you to do. You're putting out there an output according to what God has invested in you. You're determined to continue producing no matter what happens, God honoring fruit. You're pruned This part everybody hates, but you're pruned, which means you're willingly enduring pruning. You're not calling that pruning something that it's not. So you're not saying that the enemy is punishing me when it's actually God pruning you, right? You're not saying, oh, I'm in such hardship. I'm persevering over so much tribulation and difficulty when actually it's God pruning you, teaching you to be a better Christian, teaching you to be more like Christ, We've mistaken the powers of heaven because our our relationship with God is not where it needs to be. We're growing bitter over pruning's presence in your life. How many people have experienced... If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you are still walking with the Lord and you're facing pruning, one thing that people will do is they will begin to pull away. In the face of difficulty, the first thing people do on Sunday morning, oh, really, I've had a really hard week. I'm tired. I'm struggling. Man, my psychology is all messed up. My head's hurting. I, can't, I don't feel like I have power. What's the first thing we do? I'm not going to go to church today. What's the last thing we should ever think about doing? I'm not going to go to church today. Except that if that's what you do in that case, then maybe the power you're exercising is actually coming from the wrong source. Because if the power were coming from the right source, then you would be going, I'm going to God. And when things are difficult, you going. I'm going to God. Instead, we're going, I'm going I'm to take it easy. I'm going to lay back until God gets done with this. In this kind of life, connected to the right source, determined to remain connected to the right source, producing, determined to continue producing God-honoring fruit, pruned, willing, willingly enduring, not calling it something that it's not or growing bitter over it. In that kind of life... The power of God is not limited, nor is it limited in its investment. You see the problem, because there's a lot of things that people are doing that are stopping the power of God from being invested. God prunes me; I get ticked off, or I moan, or I cry, or I call people and whine to them about how things are happening. And typically, it's not I'm not whining; God's pruning me. I'm whining; it's something else. I'm under attack. The enemy hates me and he's trying to take my salvation away or something like that. We're all about complaining rather than about saying, God will get the glory through this trial. We're all about saying, But I believed, I had faith, and I prayed, and God didn't do it. And therefore, God is in the wrong. God is never in the wrong. We pray, Lord, heal this person if it should be your will. Stop it. Are you seriously trying to tell me that the God of heaven wants somebody to be sick? Wants somebody to be dying in their health or struggling psychologically or mentally or emotionally? No. There is no time that God ever wants that to be true. It is because of the sin of men that that came into the world. God wants people to have free will. And he won't take it from them. When you pray, God, make them do this. That's a prayer that you should say should be your will. Because maybe it's not. He's not going to take their free will. But when you pray against disease, when you pray against brokenness, when you pray against lostness, those are things that God wants to defeat every moment of every day. You don't have to pray if it should be your will. But what you're doing is you're praying if it should be your will because you doubt he's going to do it. Do you have a problem with God saying no? If you have a problem with God saying no, then I submit to to you that probably your power is coming from the wrong source. It's coming from the fact that you were created in his image and you know the difference between good and evil. And when God doesn't answer your prayer, you deem that as a problem. problem with God saying power. wrong." time we stop and thought about the fact, just how pervasive is this? I've been now in probably 15, 20 churches over my lifetime, and I've only been a member of two, three now, ever. Three. Been in a lot of churches where they say, God is good all the time. And all the time. You know what the problem with that saying is? Ain't ever going to save anybody. No salvation in it. I submit to you because there's no salvation in it. There's really no power in it. Are we supposed to praise God? Are we commanded to do that? Absolutely. The psalmist tells us again and again, praise Him, praise Him with song, praise Him with song. Learn an instrument for crying out loud. Dance a new dance for crying out loud. David, dance naked. Praise the Lord. We're commanded to do that. But who gets saved when we do that? Nobody. Salvation is in the story of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus And so we have all these people testifying to the power of God when actually what God has given us is the power to testify. We want to say God is good, God is right, God is holy, God is mighty, God is just, God is merciful, God is kind. All of those things are true and don't stop saying them. But never forget to include the fact that because God is holy, just, merciful, kind, powerful, and all that, He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. It's all about the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said, you will remain here until power comes upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. Holy cow, he's given them a mission that they can't finish until they cover the whole ends of the earth. And then he says, stay here a while. Don't get started right away. Listen, if I ever get a mission that's going to take me 10, 15 years, I'm going to, I want to start it right away. I want to get done as soon as I possibly can, especially if it's God honoring, right? And this was. And he says, no, you wait here for the power power that will come from the Father. The Holy Spirit of God will come. We love to say God is good and able. We are commanded to praise Him. But the power He sent was to be His witnesses, to deliver the gospel message of forgiveness through repentance in the name of Jesus. You might recognize that from Luke 24. Jesus said, now this is your job. Go and tell people that through repentance, turning to God, forgiveness is available we are to say he is willing to forgive and that he wants a right relationship. And by the way, saying that is the power filled thing. Oh, now we have a problem. Now we're praying, God, heal our sicknesses and telling zero people about Jesus. We're wondering why we can't cast mountains into the ocean or one a week. We wear our crisp sometimes, talk about Jesus, but often just quote a verse. It might be a verse and a reference. And if the name Jesus isn't in it, and how you get saved isn't in it, I submit to you that no one's gonna get saved by that T-shirt. And we're doing so much that won't save anybody. And I submit to you, if you're doing 90% of what you're doing and no one can get saved through it, then that 90% of what you're doing is being accomplished in the power that comes from being created in the image of God and knowing the difference between good and evil, not in the power that comes to testify about God and salvation that's available through Jesus. And if it's that kind of power and not that kind of power, there will be no casting of mountains into the ocean. There will be no healing of people in the name of Jesus the way it's supposed to be done. If there is healing of people and there has been healing of people that has been accomplished, it will be accomplished in that power. We are created in the image of God and know the difference between good and evil and not in that power that will move mountains into the oceans. And Jesus said, you will do even greater things than these. It is time we determine the source of our power. And I submit to you, don't fix it, don't break it, don't move it, don't touch it, unless you're sharing the name of Jesus while you do it. Don't cook your meals except you should think about how you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. When we decide that the whole purpose of followers of Jesus is to tell people about Jesus, then God will invest the power that He sent to tell people about Jesus in the people who have made that decision. And we have not done so. Now, is there anything wrong with being a family of God? Is there anything wrong with being sorted into the pile of God? And leaving out the power of Jesus? Well, yes, there is one thing. Because Jesus is going to keep coming and He's going to keep saying, hey, tell people about me. Hey, live for me. Live like I live, which I told... He said in His lifetime that He didn't come to heal. He didn't come to prophesy. He came to tell people about salvation available. The kingdom of God is near. That was His message. Repent, turn to God again, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, I have come to preach the gospel to anyone who will listen. That's what Jesus said He came for. If that's what He came for, and that's what we're supposed to be like when we get being like that, that's when that kind of power will be invested in us. That's when the power to pray. And I submit to you there are people who have gone the whole world over and done good works. They've fed the poor. They may have died because they gave their food away. Whatever their works were, if they were not sharing the name of Jesus every step of the way, that repentance of sins repentance toward God could now equal forgiveness of sins because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, if they were not doing that, then the power in which they were doing it was just the power that they were created in the image of God and knew the difference between good and evil, not the power that Jesus is talking about that is unlimited and unlimited in its investment. There are those who have another source and they can say, God is good. Just the same as we can celebrate Mother's on Mother's Day when we should do it all year round and Father's on Father's Day when we should do it all year round. We can celebrate God all year round because God is greater and because God is greater, He is good! And all of that is true, but it isn't the truth. Those who have Him as source, who receive their power directly from God the Father in the form of the Holy Spirit through Jesus the Son will teach and preach the gospel of Jesus. They will surprise the world they will surprise the church because there's an awful lot of churches praising God and not sharing. And the thing is, it's withering, a common danger. Now you tell me, what kind of people are in danger, this kind of withering, the kind of people who have heard the name of Jesus come they recognize he exists maybe. They've been in his presence. They went to church. They heard the gospel message. They they believed that Jesus was real, that he died on the cross for sins. But when he asks them to share the gospel, when he asks them to love others, when he asks them to give, and he says, much as you have done it unto the least He's done it to me. When he asks them to do that, be merciful and kind and compassionate as they miss opportunity. to Do so. They are just function power and the fact that they were created in the name of God and they have knowledge of good and evil, and they met Jesus. Last time he comes, from that point on, you will wither when your opposition is real and you've struck out your fist against God. That time on, wither and beg and Say, God, what happened? So close. What happened? I, what happened? I thought I was serving. I would read the Bible and I understood and Now I read it and I just, there's no passion anymore. Don't wither. Don't be a Christian, <laughs> professing Christian, subject to the withering that comes. Because your body may fail you and your mind may fail you and your psychology may fail you and yet you may still be here. You could be a lot worse off than dead and in heaven. Be physically alive on the earth. And withering. God help us. Be a people. We get our power from the source. By the way, Zeus is also called God, even though he doesn't even exist. Hermes is also called God, even though he doesn't even exist. And so, if what you do, you do in the name of God. Some people are going to misinterpret what you're saying. But if what you do, you do in the name of Jesus, and everything you say is in the name of Jesus. That's not easily misinterpreted. We pray for us briefly, then I'm going to ask you to respond. So please think.
0: Thank you for listening to all or a portion of this full-length New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church worship service. New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church is located in East Toledo at 255 Hefner Street, 43605. If you'd like to reach out to the church, our phone number is 419-469-8808. Our website is newheightsfellowshipchurch.org, where you can find lots more information about the church, its connections. And how to give, you, may, you can mail uh, information to the church at the address 255 Hefner 43605. You can also give to the ministry in some way if you wish by texting G I V E, G I V E, to 419 419 0095. If you'd simply like more information and updates about the ministry, you may text INFO to that same phone number, 419-419-0095. If you'd like to partner with the ministry in some way other than financial, you may text P-A-R-T-N-E-R, the word partner, to 419-419-0095.